Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. All right, welcome back everyone. Great to be here with you again this week. Here we are, it's July of 2021, and uh, just the other week I found myself wrestling with a problem or two, and I found myself wrestling with unbelief. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I differentiate between things like not having enough faith or not having strong enough faith as opposed to having unbelief. Jesus' own disciples who lived with him 24-7, saw the miracles firsthand, actually touched the man, ate at the same table with him. And, uh, you know, sometimes I wonder what it would have been like after the resurrection to look back and think, I had him there all of these years, and I could have just asked any question I wanted to, and I didn't. I sometimes think that that's how I would have felt. But knowing what they knew after the book of Acts was written, I think that uh, some of them wish they would have maybe said some things a little differently or done things a little differently. But I think that's how growth is overall. I think sometimes we look back at our past and we're almost embarrassed by the things that we thought or the things that we thought that we knew. And uh, I would say as long as you're north of 30, 40, or 50, I think the older you get, you realize that when you look back at uh, previous times in your life, you didn't know what you didn't know. Sometimes you didn't even know the right questions to ask, but you don't realize that until you get a little bit older. And the kingdom of heaven, it says, is like that. It, it works like the seed and harvest principle, where first you have the seed, then the blade, uh, and then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. And that's how spiritual things work most of the time. Unless we have a miraculous intervention and no growing time is needed, something needs to be there and poof, it's there. But most of the time, it seems like there is a period of of time that lapses between the time people seek God and pray and ask for help and the time it comes to pass. I think that's why the Bible says, be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises that patient, the word patience there is also translated perseverance, implying that you have to follow people who persevered through some tough times. Those are the examples you should be looking at. Of course, when we hear about people having an instant breakthrough, then oftentimes we want to know what it was that they did. And, and for years, I used to think like that. Which buttons did they press or what uh, levers did they pull to get that kind of result so fast? And then you try and maybe duplicate that with what you're doing, and you find that it just doesn't work that way. Well, I think after all is said and done, it's what's in the heart of the person. It, it, it's the faith that's in their heart. It's the hope, the love, the insight, the revelation that they have in their heart. So we can look at scriptures like faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, um, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. And then you realize that, well, everyone has physical ears, but just as Jesus said at the time, he who has ears, let him hear. So everybody had ears, but not everybody had the kind of ears, meaning that deep down in their heart, they were hearing what was really being said. In other words, they weren't taking it to heart. And I think when it comes to how we look at maybe how some of the ministries have been in in modern times, or how some of the things the church has done in modern times a lot of emphasis is put on knowledge and uh, and data and information. But I think that if that were so, then I think every person who teaches 
the Bible would have an extreme advantage over everyone else, meaning in a practical sense. What I mean by that is their life would reflect a higher level of blessing just due to the fact that they knew chapter and verse, maybe inside out. But if you look even to many preachers as examples in their lives, you can see that oftentimes the things that befell them were the things that befell people who didn't even believe. They have the same problems, the same setbacks. They experience the same things. And sometimes people wonder why that is. And I think that at after all is said and done, what it really comes down to is that we, we can't put the responsibility of uh, making God's word work, I guess you might say, squarely upon our shoulders. Let me explain what I mean by that, because I don't want to give anybody the wrong idea. I believe that sometimes God speaks to someone's heart and faith comes. I know it's happened to me before, and when that faith came, it was impossible to doubt. Back in the 1980s, I remember I was struggling to find work. I was just out of college, and um, every day I would look in the paper, and there was just nothing there. And so finally, I was living home at the time in my early 20s, and I remember telling my mother, who was also a new believer at the time, I said, I'm going to pray according to Mark 11:24, and I'm going to believe that I have a new job, and I'm going to believe that the job is within 30 minutes of the house, so I don't have too long of a commute, and I'm also going to believe that the job has medical uh, insurance that I wanted at the time, that I don't have to pay for, and so you may stop me right there and say, well, if you were believing, what, why did you want medical insurance? I don't know. I was 21 years old. I just figured I had to have it. <coughs> Excuse me. So I prayed. And now if I asked you, what, what was wrong with that approach? I'm sure that you could find 101 things that you could comment on that were wrong about it. But when all was said and done, I left that time of, of prayer And every time I would open up the paper, I would just say, thank you, Lord, that my job is here, even if there was nothing in the want ads that I could find. Of course, back then there was no internet, so we just looked in the the want ads, and I made calls. And for a year, I had people basically telling me the same thing. Well, you're fresh out of college. With that experience, we don't want to hire you. And then so I was caught in this loop. Well, unless someone takes a chance, how am I going to... How am I going to break into this field? And in the meantime, I took some menial jobs that were really lousy jobs, and I was unhappy at the jobs, so I was trying not to complain about it. But all things uh, being equal, I went back to Mark eleven twenty four, and I've heard plenty of testimonies about it, and I decided that that's what I needed to focus on. And I got serious about it. Every day when I got up, I would say, Thank you, Father. I believe I have it, and I believe I have it now. And I would thank God for the job, and I'd talk about it uh, like I already had it. I would talk to my parents about it like I already had it, and they would kind of just smile and look at me, I think probably trying to decide whether I was all there or not. And, uh, and then on my birthday, I think it was, it was at least my birthday week or maybe the day before or maybe the day after. Don't know. Don't remember. Too, a little bit too long ago. But I got the exact job that I asked for, including the benefits including the names of the companies that provided the benefits. I just happened to ask for a certain company, and it was there. It was all there, and and that came to pass. And I remember after that experience thinking that, okay, from now on, all I have to do is duplicate this process whenever I need anything. But, you know, 
as it turned out, it didn't work. Now, <laughs> let me explain what I mean by this. I was looking at prayer more like a formula. I wasn't looking at it as a principle. The principle is when you pray, believe. So I took that as something that I was going to have to get better at believing. I was going to have to put more effort into believing. And there came, uh, there came a time when there was a situation was presented to me, and no matter how much of an effort I seemed to make, it just didn't seem to work. And so that confused me a little bit, but uh, let, me, let me explain a little bit about uh, how I see this now and maybe how you can apply this to what, what you're living in in your own life. Romans chapter 6, verses 16 and 17 says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed. So grace ensures that it works. Grace ensures that the promises of God work here in this world. Grace. For Let me explain it. Let me just go a little bit further. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace. So faith opens the door to grace. Grace is something that's unearned. Well, after I had that initial experience, I kind of looked at faith like a unit of exchange, like a coin or like a dollar or like a check. And I heard other people explain it that way. But I took it in a literal sense, not just the principle, if that makes sense. And so I felt like I had to work up faith. But if I can work up faith, then I have the ability to say, hey, look at me, look at what I've done. Right, I, I've earned favor with God, but the grace that moves the hand of God is unearned. Do you see the difference? So when I'm trying to earn a miracle from God, not that I looked at it literally that way where I'm thinking, okay, I got to do this, but I did think that my responsibility was to believe. And the more I, I <coughs> embraced that responsibility, excuse me, clear <coughs> my throat here, the more I embraced that responsibility, uh, the more fearful I became that I was doing it wrong especially when I didn't see a result within what I consider to be a realistic amount of time. So, um, and, and so I can go round and round with this, but I'm saying this to you because the truth is freeing. The truth is we cannot work up faith in our own intellect, in our own human strength, any more than we can work up our digestive system to do what it was designed to do. So when you eat food, do you have to concentrate to get your digestive system to take care of whatever it is that you just ate? Of course not. The system is designed where all other things being equal, it's going to do the job it was designed to do independent of you. And if your brain is involved in the, in the process, it's not the conscious part of your brain. So if we want to look at it scientifically, we can look at it that way. But it all works. And so what happens, I think, then is... When you lose sight of the grace of God, God's unearned favor, then you begin to put the responsibility on yourself. And when the more you look at yourself, I, had, I hate to say this, but the more you see that you're lacking. Even if you're not outright sinning, even if you're not outright, we know what the Ten Commandments are, and there's a lot of other applications of the law that we see back in the Old Testament. But basically, there's quite a few ways to miss it. And those are just the things that we do. If we look at the things that we don't do, think about that, those type of sins that the Bible talks about, or sins of the heart, things that we really don't even realize that we're not doing until we look back on the fact. Just a, a, an example is, uh, have you ever been stingy? Have you ever 
really not cared about what was happening with someone else because you were too interested in what you had going on. I mean, all of these things which are basically a lack of love, a lack of empathy, a lack of being involved, a lack of helping when you're able to. I mean, we do things like that all the time. And so when you couple that with the law, then you can see that as far as our own works go, we're, we're basically bankrupt. We owe more than we could ever repay. And so that's why we've the human race as, as a whole has ran up such a huge tab. It took God's own sacrifice, God being put to death through Jesus Christ, you might, well, you might as well say, um, instead of us. He, he, he did it for us. But and so when you when you have that mindset again, where all of the focus comes back to your own performance, I think then you're in a place where you're going to be in some trouble. So let's look at another scripture verse. And I think this is a is a great one to look at. It talks about the rest of God. So if you're online, you can look up different scriptures which talk about the rest of God. But I'm going to read to you just a, a handful of them. I'm going to use the English Standard Version here. If you'd like, you can. I like to start with the King James and then look at some other translations if it helps make a point a little bit clearer. But uh, Matthew 8, or excuse me, Matthew 11:28 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Think about that for a minute. Jesus is saying, I will give you rest. You who are laboring, you who are burdened. What do you say? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So if that's not good news, I really don't know what is. Hebrews chapter uh, 4, starting in verse number 1, it says, Therefore, while a promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to fail to reach it. So there is a rest of God available for us today. For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message did not benefit them because they were not united by faith uh, with those who listened. I like the way the King James says that a little bit better. Let's check it out there quickly. Hebrews chapter uh, 4 and verse number 3. It says, um, well, let me get back to the King James. Here we go. Uh, Hebrews 4.2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So God's blessings, God's promises, uh, they profit you when you mix what you're hearing with faith. So unless faith is present, what you're hearing isn't going to profit you. So when you hear that, uh, I think a lot of times that's why the disciples made comments like, Lord, increase our faith. And he said, if you have a faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain. So from the human standpoint, if something's important, then you need a lot of it. In other words, money is important, so we need a lot of money. Uh, strength is important, so we need big muscles. And we could, just go, <laughs> we could just go on and on down the line. But faith doesn't work like that. Just a little bit of faith is all it takes to move a mountain. Now, if faith could just be generated by our desire to have it and our desire to uh, believe chapter and verse, well, then I would say that you should probably spend most of your time studying it. And I'm not even talking about praying. I'm just talking about writing the scriptures down. Now, I'm not saying any of these things are bad, but I'm saying that there's a heart element missing from that approach. When you make something formulaic, then what happens if the formula doesn't work? 
So the difference between this approach that I'm sharing with you today, and when I say approach, the principles I'm sharing with you today, is instead of just looking at the word as a standalone thing, we're looking at not just the promise, but the one who made it, the one behind it. Talking about God the Father. I'm talking about uh, the Lord Jesus. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about those three who, who are one. Now, don't get caught up in, well, how does that work? Because understanding it isn't really important. It's believing it. They're one. Just like our, we're three in one, really, if you think about it. We're spirit, we have souls, and we live in bodies. Which one is us? Which one's the real us? Well, I guess all of it is. But uh, So Hebrews 4.1, again, I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Therefore, a promise of entering his rest still stands. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to fail to reach it. I think faith has a rest because if you go a few more verses over, it says in number three, for we who have believed enter that rest. We who have believed. Not we who are believing for. Not we who are... You you get where I'm coming from. I don't want to beat this to death. Hebrews 3.19 sums it up, and it says, So we see then that they were not able to enter because of unbelief, talking about the Israelites, but this is the principle how this works. It's the same for us today. And so as I was saying earlier, I was in unbelief because... I did not have rest in my heart concerning certain things that were unfolding in the lives of some people around me and a, a few things in my own life. And, and, and thank God that finally <laughs> I got out of that formula way of thinking. So we could talk about things like authority. We could talk about the name of Jesus. We can talk about uh, the shield of faith. We could talk about the righteousness of God. But all things being equal, it took for me Uh, seeking God. Now, what do I mean by seeking God? I mean going to a place where I could pray and shut out all outside distractions and talk to God about things that were bothering me. And to be honest with you, I couldn't even put my finger on exactly what was bothering me. I just knew something wasn't right inside. I didn't feel comfortable. I felt comfortable maybe for a little bit, but then I found myself worrying and thinking negative thoughts. Now, if that's entering into rest, then my definition of rest is totally lopsided. Obviously, no one knows better than you whether you have rest in your heart concerning, and you can go ahead and fill in the blank with that. So if you're praying for somebody and you're just using the simple believe you receive principle, if you don't really believe that you receive, then what do you do? Well, you have to labor, according to the Bible, to enter into God's rest. Let me read that scripture to you one more time. Okay, let's start at verse number 9, Hebrews chapter 4 still. It says, There remaineth therefore a rest for the people of God. This is the King James Version. For he that is entered into his rest, he has also ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us therefore labor, or let us labor therefore to enter into that rest lest any man should fall after the same example of unbelief. So when you have unbelief, you don't have rest. Now there's, there's a great, there's many great examples of this in the Bible. Let me just pull up a few of them quickly to you. One of them, which I like to speak about is the time in Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 14 is when the man came to G or the man came to the disciples and said that he had a son who was 
uh, a lunatic, sorely vexed. This is American King James. He often falls into the fire and the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. This is what he said to Jesus. Jesus answered, said it, oh, faithless and perverse generation. How long will I be with you? How long will I suffer you? Bring him here to me. And then, of course, Jesus rebuked the devil and it departed from him. And the disciples came to him afterwards. And he says, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said in verse 20, because of your unbelief. And so I think that what we have is, again, the disciples' interpretation of faith is, if it's important, we need more of it. But he said, no, you don't need more of it. Just a tiny bit can move a mountain. It's unbelief that's your problem. Because think about it this way. If, and let's just use some natural examples. If you have a force pulling something in one direction, let's say with 200 pounds worth of force, 500 pounds worth of force, and you put an opposing force on the other side that's equal to that, then you're not going to go anywhere. And here's a great example of it because uh, what Jesus, let's, let's take a look at that scripture verse from Matthew, but let's look at it in another translation. I think to get the full picture, sometimes you have to read about the same event in two or more of the Gospels. So Mark 9.23, Jesus said, this is the same situation, the man with his son, Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him who believeth. Now, the, what the father said is oftentimes it casts it cast him, talking about his son, into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And they say in the original language, it's worded like this. It's not what I can do. It's what you can believe. That's when Jesus said, if thou canst believe, remember, he said, if you can do anything, and then Jesus put it back on him. If thou, meaning if you, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And it, I, I think every single one of us can relate to what the father said next. Verse 24, Mark 9, and straight away the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. See, now this, we see it right here very, very clearly. He did have faith or else he wouldn't have brought his son to the disciples. The disciples had faith or else they wouldn't have tried to cast the spirit out. Both parties are dealing with unbelief. Can you see that? I hope you can see that. Because if you can't see it, you're going to think the problem's with your faith. And no, it's not the semantics. <laughs> and just to make it very simple for you, how can you tell if you're in unbelief? You don't have rest in your heart. And you can tell by the man's words he didn't have rest in his heart. Uh, another example would be Peter walking on the water. He started out walking on the water, but he saw the winds and the waves. He became afraid, and fear opened up the door for unbelief. He still had faith. He didn't just drop like a rock, but the unbelief was beginning to pull with more force than the faith was and it began to sink now again it's not the faith that's the power it's the grace of god it's the power of god now there's some great scriptures out there that you can just grab hold of where it says things like where sin abounds grace abounds that much more so even if your habitual problems <laughs> whatever area of your life you care to talk about where those sins abound grace is going to abound that much more once you lay hold of that and begin to say that and yes, life and death are in the power of the tongue, but you got to make sure your heart is squarely focused on the, on the person who gave the promise. The promise is only as good as the person who makes it. And if you lose sight of who made the promise, if a millionaire tells you 
that they're going to write you out a check for $200,000 to pay for your home or to buy you a home or to pay off your home or whatever, or $300,000, whatever it happens to be. If a millionaire does that, well, then you have a certain level of faith there. And the unbelief isn't very low because the person who made the promise has got historically the muscle to pack it up. But, you know, if um, somebody across the street who's, you know, 20 years old and working at their first job says that they were going to buy the house for you, well, then I'm sure there'd be a lot more unbelief because it's, it's the same promise. It's just who made it. And I think that when we lost, lose sight of the person who makes the, the promise, then unbelief is a, is the result of it. Jesus was Jesus and, and Peter, again, good example. He took his eyes off Jesus. He saw the wind and the waves. I know you get that. I don't have to kind of drill it into your head. I know you get that. But in a practical sense, we don't have Jesus standing in front of us physically today that we can keep our eyes on him. And we can say, just keep your eyes on Jesus, and everybody would say yes and amen and agree to it. But I'm telling you, it is a challenge. It's amazing when you go to a place and you're trying to pray, how maybe suddenly your stomach starts growling, you want something to eat, or you remember things that you have to do later on in the day, or the phone rings, or you forgot something. And all of these things just come hammering away at you. And so the time that it takes in prayer isn't necessarily due to the fact that you have to break through to get to God or you have to storm the gates of heaven because didn't Jesus say that the kingdom of heaven is within you? Didn't Jesus say that the Holy Spirit would be in you? Did Jesus say that I would never leave you nor forsake you? So this visual that we have of prayers ascending up into the heavenly world and answers coming down from above, I think I got to question that symbolism for all every circumstance today. Maybe for some, I'm not saying that it does, it's not completely like that, but if you have the Holy Spirit in you, and here's a, a scripture to go along with that. Think about this. One person is trying to pray the power down, but it says here in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. So if the power is in us, why do we have to pray the power down? So these are questions that I never really asked until years later because this is the way, this was the lingo. This was the church lingo. This was the lingo of our time. And yeah, there's plenty of examples in the Old Testament, but they're just that. They're Old Testament examples. Maybe if you don't have the Holy Spirit, and not to break it down into an argument, what's the difference between having the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit? Because Jesus said, if, if any man have not the Spirit, or it says that in the New Testament, he is none of his. So every believer is sealed with the Holy Spirit. So if the power is working in us, and if you're, and that's another great, great illustration, just came in, just popped into my mind. How easy would it be to fill with the whole, be filled with the Holy Spirit if the Spirit's already in you? Right, because back in the Book of Acts, they got filled on the day of Pentecost. They were waiting for that day to come. And that was the day the Holy Spirit began his ministry on the earth, and he filled them all. And then after that, people received the Holy Spirit filling through the laying on of hands. Anyway, let's not get too into the theology here. Let's keep with the practical side of it. But it says here, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask, that word could also be translated pray or think. Isn't that amazing? 
which means it doesn't all fall back on you. That's, that is a freeing truth that a lot of people just don't grab hold of. We bring it down. We put the responsibility on our shoulders. Why? Because that's the way that the church has taught it for years. Paul made comments like, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Meaning that when I realize that I can't carry the load, I'm strong because I put my focus 100% on the Lord. And, and yes, I believe in power. I believe in authority. But it's more along the lines of, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. In other words, it's your, his spirit that's in you, that's empowering you, motivating you. So you can remove your personality from the equation. Because when your own personality is part of the equation then right away you're aware of all your inconsistencies, your lack of knowledge, your lack of insights. And we compare ourselves with other people. And so when we hear that somebody is getting uh, all of these breakthroughs, we just assume that they must be doing it better or they must have a more understanding than we do. But yet we see that in the Gospels, people brought multitudes of sick to Jesus and what kind of theology did they have? And he healed them all. Then we see in the book of Acts, they did the same thing with Peter. They just laid the sick on the street and, and all of these things happen. Right? And they preached, Peter preached Jesus and his name and faith in his name. Not just because the name is Jesus spelled J-E-S-U-S or Yeshua, if you want to look at it um, in another language or Joshua in the Hebrew, not because of that name and the spelling of it, but who the person was, the man, the son of God. You know, perfect God, perfect man who came and provided a sacrifice in our place. That person. Once you grasp that, that's who the person is. Then the name, it's much easier to have faith in the name instead of just using the name like you would, you know, know, there's a detachment there. It's kind of more of a clinical thing. So uh, anyway, I hope you're, I hope you're getting something from this. So I went back to my time of prayer and I had to pray several times not asking for the same thing, but I remember praying different ways. Because if I ask God for something and I believe I receive, but I have unrest in my heart the next day that it's actually working, and and if I'm caught up with thinking that I must have done something wrong or it doesn't feel right or any any kind of crazy thing like that that we really can't help but feel, we're feeling it, then obviously I don't have rest. I'm not in a place of rest. And so what do I have to do? I have to labor. It takes effort to get to that place of rest. And I've seen, I've heard testimonies over the year. I've seen people uh, that labor hours on end. Some people aren't able to do that. Some people go to a place of prayer at the same time every day. <laughs> or, so when you think religiously, like you have to be doing it a certain way, then we're, we're, missing, the, we're missing the point. Some people think if you're really praying, you should be down on your hands and knees. When we see prayer in the New Testament, we see them praying with their hands lifted up. Paul said, I would that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and da- or doubting. So forget about all of that. So I, I've been brutally honest with God on several occasions about things. Meaning that all of the lumps, the bumps, everything I was mad about. I mean, I just let it all out. I figured there's no need keeping it. I was just honest. And there've been times that I've been wanting to do something, but I didn't really even think that I really, my heart wasn't even in it. I didn't want to do it. I knew I should be willing. And then I had to ask God. There were times I felt just terrible thoughts about people who, who I thought were not 
who had either not necessarily done me wrong, but just were murmuring and saying things about me behind my back. And I remember feeling just disgusted about that. And then having to see those people and keep a smile on my face like that didn't happen. And so there's always things like that that happen in life. And there's times that you want to forgive, but the emotion of not forgiving is just as strong. And so I wanted to have rest. I I don't want to hold anything against anybody. I mean, God hasn't held anything that I've done in my past in front of me. He's forgiven all of it. It's all gone. It's all, the Bible says that God will separate you from your sin as far as the East is from the West. The Bible says that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so, yeah, absolutely. I want to be able to forgive others that way. I want to forget about them. I want those acts, those deeds, those comments, those words. You know, sometimes a major thing happens and you're fine with it. You can forgive. And sometimes a little thing happens and it sticks with you. And you don't want to feel that way about the person. But it takes time sometimes to get to that place where you enter into rest. Let's talk about the praying part. In 1 Timothy 2.8, Paul says, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So there he's talking about lifting up your hands as you're praying. In the book of Acts, we see that they're all seated at the table when the Holy Spirit comes and fills them. So there's not a form that's considered a right form. I guess it's what's ever in your heart at that moment. I know there have been times where I've just felt the need to get down on my hands and knees and put my head down on the floor where something has just overwhelmed me or I just feel that the the challenge is great and I just want to focus 100% and not have all of these distractions. So the position of doing that, I find, is a little more helpful. There are other times I've woken up in the middle of the night not being able to get to sleep and I'll walk around the room and I'll lift up my hands and I'll pray that way and I'll talk to the Lord. And, and sometimes I'm aware of hearing myself speak and what I'm talking about. Other times I realize that my heart really isn't in it, that I know I should be praying and it's just kind of a natural exercise. And so I'll just be honest. I'm trying to concentrate on you, Lord, but my mind is on all of these other things. As soon as I get honest, it's where all of the breakthroughs come from. As soon as I'm honest with myself and honest with God. There's one thing about being honest with yourself that is difficult. It's just that we don't We don't see ourselves in the best light when we're brutally honest. And that's not to knock anybody. It's just to once more prove that if it weren't for the grace of God, if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, none of us would be in a place where we could consider ourselves to be what the Bible says we are, the righteousness of God. It literally says in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that Jesus is our wisdom, he is our righteousness, and he is our redemption. And so you can see why then Paul made statements like, it's no longer I that live but Christ that lives in me. Okay, let's go on a little bit further. So I don't want to lose this principle of entering into rest. I just want to share some more from my personal experience with this. There have been times, have you ever done work out in the yard, but you didn't complete it in a day? And so you come back out, maybe you're weeding something or you're planting something and the area is not done, or you're doing some type of improvement or cleaning something up and you just can't do it all in one sitting. Sometimes you just get tired out. Personally, I found the same thing that happens in prayer. I know I read stories about years ago where one person is praying around the clock. And honestly, there have been maybe two times in my life that I've been able to do that. So if moving God required me to be able to invest 
24 to 48 hours of consistent, constant prayer, then none of my prayers would ever be answered. Let me also add, over the years I've read books and I've heard preachers tell the story of those from the past who had received just mighty miracles or saw mighty deliverances and healings occur in their ministry and in people's lives as a result of long or many hours of prayer. For example, one man whose name was Reese Howells, I believe that he and a group of intercessors actually changed the course of battles in World War II through their intercessory prayer. And, and we can see examples of intercessory prayer in the Bible or people who were praying and fasting. In other words, they skipped one meal, two meals, three meals, several days worth of meals in order to not be interrupted in their praying. Now, obviously, during this time, what are you doing when you're praying for hours and hours? Well, back in, in my own early days, back in the around 1987, 88, I remember praying with a group of intercessors once a week at, at a church in New Jersey, and we would be there for at least an hour. And sometimes people would pray out loud, and sometimes they'd pray sitting, and sometimes they'd be walking around the church, up and down the aisles, praying. Sometimes they'd be praying in English. Sometimes they'd be praying in tongues in the Spirit. And we never really focused on, as a group, at, on one type of situation, at least not for the whole night. Now, you can read the examples of other people throughout church history who prayed during certain, as certain battles were unfolding during World War II or back when Israel was becoming a nation again back in the 1960s. And you can read about this, like 1967, I think it was. You can read about this. And as you're reading about it, you'll see that as people were praying, bombs were landing but not exploding. And all kinds of miraculous things were happening. Angels appeared in battle next to soldiers. And you won't read about this in secular history yet, right? No wonder why. They'll say it was people, they had battle fatigue, and they'll leave that part out. But if you actually read the diaries of the soldiers on both sides, they both attest to these things. And so sometimes when you hear that, you take those stories and you wonder, wow, would God still do that today? Now, when I say you wonder, I mean, just in our human selves, our natural minds, we still have a natural mind that needs to be renewed consistently. And it more or less tends to default more than we'd like it to, to the negative, to believing that that probably won't happen. And so uh, one of the stories actually that comes to mind is there's a book called Modern Miracles Through Prayer and Faith. Excuse me. It's written by a um, holiness preacher who lived back in the late 1800s and early 1900s. I believe he passed away in the 30s or 40s. But he had a book that was recently discovered. When I say recently, I mean last 20 or 30 years, I think. It's been out of print. And this was a man, his name was G.C. Bevington. Guy Bevington was his name. And he wrote this, I guess you could call it a journal of sorts, of how God had worked through his ministry. And he was a holiness preacher. And he would spend days sometimes praying for somebody who was at death's doorstep, and they would have a miraculous healing. I mean, just people breathing every once in a while, ready to go on to be with the Lord. He would pray for people who were, as others quote it, the worst sinner in town, and they would experience these miraculous conversions. But he would often go in a room and lock himself in that room 24 to 48 hours or longer. Or other times he would go out in the woods 
and he would pray next to a log or on top of a log or in a log, I think he, as he described it, just away from everyone. And once he was praying so long and, and he was really getting hungry and weak, <clears throat> excuse me, he said squirrels came and started bringing nuts and placing them on the log so that he would have something to eat. Very interesting. Now, some people would hear that and say they dismiss it right away. But, you know, if you, if you want to believe in the miraculous, then when you hear a story, and I know some stories are false, I know some people just say things because it benefits them to say it, but there's also the real. No one counterfeits a $3 bill because the $3 bill doesn't exist. I know there's counterfeits, but there's also the real. And, uh, and so this, this man, and I have, to, I have to say this, he lived most of his life in what we would call today poverty. He didn't take up offerings most of the time because he preached to the poor. And, uh, and God supplied for him throughout his whole life. He didn't live in big houses or anything like that, like we see a lot of people in ministry today who are popular. And uh, he just, again, was never really um, what you would call famous, I guess, when you compare it to some of the other names at the time. But you may wonder, well, what was he doing during that time? Was he just asking the same petition over and over again? Or was he praying in the spirit? He doesn't talk about praying in tongues in his journal. So, uh, but I don't have any doubt that he was filled with the spirit. I don't think there's any way that at that time you can be in prayer for more than 24 hours without being in the spirit. I don't think you do it in the natural. But see, here's where the problem comes in. We see this, and then we think of it in our natural human sense. How do I duplicate this? And so if you try to duplicate it, it's the equivalent of punching a clock where you're putting in your time, and you think because you're sitting in a room for 24 hours, praying in your own strength, that that's what's going to get the job done. I don't say that to discourage anybody. I'm just saying that there's more to it than that. If you want to look at a good example, let's take a look at Jesus. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I think this is a great example. It says, let me look at the, uh, let's look at this in the uh, newer King James Version. In Matthew chapter 26, uh, starting in verse 36, it says, Then comes Jesus with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit you here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. <clears throat> Why do you think that is? Probably because he was beginning to meditating on what was before him. We're not sorrowful while we're thinking of happy things. So, then he said to them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even to death. Tarry you here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So you see there, he's, he's praying in a language that we understand. We know what he said. And then it says in verse 40, and he comes to his disciples and finds them asleep. Has that ever happened to you before? Most of the time I go to sleep praying at night, personally anyway. Not always. Maybe I shouldn't say most of the time. <laughs> Lately, <laughs> I've been praying myself to sleep at night just so that I could have a good night's sleep and don't have crazy dreams. So um, it says then in verse 40, he comes to the disciples and finds them asleep and says to Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? So right there, one hour is an example of a time of prayer for something that's important. Now, he goes on from there. Of course, the answer is no. 
Peter fell asleep. But then he says, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Now that word temptation can also be translated tests and trials. And then he goes on to say, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now that's probably very easy for everyone to identify with. Yes, the flesh is weak. You can get distracted. You get tired. You start thinking about other things and it becomes frustrating sometimes. Now, verse 42, it says, he went away again a second time and prayed saying, oh, father, if this cup may not pass for me, except I drink it, your will be done. So he used the word if there, in other words, if it's not possible for this cup to pass for me and that I need to drink it, then your will be done. And then it says in verse 43, and he came and found them asleep again. So now we don't know if there were other things that were said during this time in the Garden of Gethsemane during an hour. We, we don't know exactly, but we get the important facts that are here revealed to us because he does this three times. And why would he do it three times? Well, let's, let's read and let's just see what it says. In verse uh, 43 again, he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes are heavy. And then he left them and went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same words. Why would you say the same thing more than once? I think, obviously is, if I asked you the same question three times, either I didn't understand the answer, or I wasn't sure of what you said, or I didn't hear a reply for some reason. Maybe there was some kind of interference. And so look what happens. Verse 45, then he comes to his disciples and said to them, sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. In other words, he knew by the 45th verse after praying three times, asking for something, what the right path was. Now, this is something critical. This is something very important. The entire course of humanity is hinging on Jesus getting this right. Now, remember, Jesus was still a man at, at this point with a human body. And, you know, we could go round and round saying, well, what was the difference between Jesus as a human having the Holy Spirit as his father, as opposed to you and I being human, having a, a earthly father? Uh, and obviously, he didn't have that sin nature default in him. But he could have fallen just as easily as the first Adam could have. In other words, he was just like the original Adam was. And he had the choice to sin and, and die just like Adam did, just like Eve did. But had he done that, he would not have been able to become, what the Bible calls him, the captain of, the captain of our salvation. His blood wouldn't have been the perfect sacrifice. So you see how important this is. Now, you and I, when we go into our place of prayer, we're not going for something that huge. If we're going to pray for a life and death situation, whether it be our own or somebody that we love or somebody that we don't know, or whether we go and pray for the salvation of, quote unquote, the worst sinner in town like Guy Bevington did, um, we, not, we may not be able to hear right away in such a way, wait, right? Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. So why would you ask somebody more than once for direction on what you should do next? Because either you're not sure of what direction or you, you didn't hear a specific command pointed out. So Jesus said, if it be possible, let this happen. Obviously, if he knew it wasn't impossible, in other words, if he knew that this is the only way you can do it, it's not possible to do it any other way. This is the way God needs it to be done, the Father. 
This is the way the Holy Spirit needs it to be done. So had he known that, he would have never asked the question. So we can see a, a prime example here. Now, when you look at somebody like, well, Guy Bevington that I just mentioned, who's praying for two or three days, why was he praying so long? Well, obviously, he didn't enter that place of rest where he knew what the will of God was, that he knew that he knew that he believed. See, we which who have believed enter into rest. And even though Jesus was going to the cross, there's a sense of rest in him when we get down to the 45th verse. Then he came to his disciples and said, sleep on now. Before that, he was saying, hey, stay awake. We need to pray. Pray with me. Pray with me. In other words, you're my friends. You are my family. We're doing this together. Pray with me. But they didn't do it. They couldn't do it. They were just tired. They were just overwhelmed in the natural. The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. And so it's not the matter of should you spend an hour? Should you spend two hours? Should you spend 10 hours? Jesus gave an hour there. And I think that somebody might say, well, what if I can't spend an hour? What if I can only spend like 15 minutes? Well, what's 15 minutes times four? I guess that's an hour. So if it took you 15 minutes a day to get to your hour, do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, don't make this legalistic. I'm just saying that it may take, just like the cleaning up of the yard, it may take, or the repairs on your house. Maybe you can't work all the way through. Does that mean that you should just throw in the towels? Oh, I, I can't do this in an hour, or I can't be here four or five hours. I can't be here all day and, and give up. Rather than be that way, or do it in the natural. In other words, think, okay, I'm going to grit my teeth, and I'm going to work myself into this time. And you, you'll leave that time without any rest in your heart at all because you're doing it in your own strength. So do you understand how this would work out from a practical sense in each of our lives? Number one, you have to be brutally honest with God. And it may take maybe the confessing of your sins several times before you can finally get to the place where you are at rest. Yes, you are forgiven. Yes, God does not hold it against you. And it's not that we don't intellectually agree with what the Bible says that we're forgiven. It's just that there's something in our hearts sometimes that's not allowing ourselves to accept that forgiveness in a real living and practical sense and way. And as a result of not being able to forgive ourselves, and it may not be something that we did, it may be something that we, we haven't done or something that we haven't been doing maybe for years. And it's that thing on the inside of us that condemns us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if it takes you confessing that same sin several times before you're finally at rest with the fact that, yes, I believe I'm forgiven, I forgive myself, and you move forward, well, you know, so be it. How many times do people hear the gospel sometimes before they raise their hand and say, I want to receive, I, I want to I pray, I want to be saved? How many times is it that their intellect is somehow stifled? No, it comes down to the heart. It really comes down to the heart. I think that's where the real travail is in prayer. That's where the real fight of faith is. We're not fighting God. If we were fighting God, we couldn't win. And we're not fighting the devil really either, not directly. We're fighting the good fight of faith. We're fighting the unbelief that's attacking us. Just like the father cried out and said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Every single one of us who have read the New Testament before and have seen at least some answer to prayer, know that there is a real connection between faith and believing and receiving and doubting. And so, again, it's not the amount of faith, it's the amount of unbelief, I think, that's pulling us in that other direction. 
there is a promise of God left to us to enter into rest and labor. That's what we have to do, labor, which means we're fighting against the flesh, meaning the doubts, the fears, and all of those things. The real travail has to do more with us, I think, than it has to do with God. In other words, we don't have to storm the gates of heaven. The gates of heaven are already open. Matter of fact, according to the Bible, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So if we're seated, that means we've already gone through the gate. We've already gone down the streets of gold. We're seated with him in heavenly places. As a matter of fact, talking about unbelief, listen to some of these scriptures. I'm going to just pull some of these up. Galatians, and I'm using Bible software to do this, so you may hear a little bit of clicking. But Galatians chapter 3 and in verse number 13, what does it say there? Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Not is going to at a future point in time. He hath, past tense, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through faith. If you want to read back in Deuteronomy 28, blessings and cursings extend from the spiritual world into the natural world. Sometimes people focus on one but not the other, but both of them are interconnected, are inseparable when it comes to cursing and when it comes to blessing. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, so there's no need for us to endure the manifestation of the curse in our life, whether it happens to be affecting spirit, soul, and body. So if we're praying, asking God to take away something that he's already taken away, do you see where the unbelief comes in? Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Let's go a little bit further. Matthew 8, 17 that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took, past tense, our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Again, past tense, already done. First John five fourteen and 15, and this is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, and his will is laid out plainly in the Bible, we know he hears us, and if we know he hears us, whatsoever we ask, Whatsoever we ask, we know we have the petitions that we desired of him. Not know we will have, not know that it's coming. We know we have. And so I think what trips obviously everyone up at one time or another is not seeing it, not being able to touch it, not seeing it manifested as a visible physical reality in our life. And when we see that, we get to a place where unbelief begins to challenge us and if we move from a place of being in rest to not having rest, I think, at least how I see it myself, this is just my personal opinion, but I think once you enter into God's rest, you win. Now, sometimes it's very easy to enter into rest and you don't even realize you've done it. But I think, again, a great way to judge your own heart is to look at the problem and say, am I truly 100% sincerely at rest concerning this situation? concerning this prayer request, concerning this person that I've been praying for. I know this has been made so difficult by all of these books that are out there that tell you you need to do all these things, and then you're, you're wondering whether you did it right or not. And that alone puts you in a place where you have unrest within yourself because you didn't know if you did it right. Whereas if you let peace be your guide, if you let rest be the indicator, then you know that, yes, you have these promises, but you have to take these promises to the Father, to Jesus, and you have to fight to get to that place where you finally have peace in your in your heart and you're able to let go. And once you let go, then you're in a position where the Lord can fulfill these promises 
in your individual life. All right, I think that's about all for now. I could go on. Part of me really wants to go on, but I'm going to put the bookmarker in it there. That's about all for today. I just today spoke just off the cuff. I didn't really write notes out or anything like that. I just, I was kind of bursting at the seams to share this information. So I really believe that somebody who's listening to this today really needed to hear this. And I know that hearing it again for myself helps. And right now I just look out, out my window, out in the back, and we have these trees that, beautiful trees. We have hawks living at the top of the tree, very old tree. And every time it rains or the wind blows, all of the dry dead branches kind of fall off and they land on the on the ground and once a week they come and they pick up leaves and twigs and things like that yard waste and so we have to go out there and pick up these sticks and it's maintenance it's ongoing maintenance and and that's the way i see prayer sometimes when you don't see the result right away you have to go out and pick the junk up off the ground and that junk is like the little seeds of unbelief that come and challenge what it is that god said in our own minds and hearts And so, yes, the Bible says fight the good fight of faith, and it is a good fight. You know why? God is for you, not against you. God's already promised you all of these things. And the worst case scenario is that, you know, if if the worst thing can happen, what's the worst thing that can happen to a person? They can die. But if that person is a believer, they're still in heaven. They're still with Jesus. All the tears are wiped from their eyes and will still be reunited with them again. So, I look at this world, everything is temporal. I want God's very best in my life and the lives of the people I love, but I don't want to kick myself and beat myself up because I've missed it and fall short of God's best in certain areas and in certain situations in my life here and there. Instead, I want to put those things behind me and I want to move forward. All right, that's it for today. God bless you if you haven't been to the main website yet. I got to get around to redesigning it. It's faithtestedbyfire.com. That's faithtestedbyfire.com. You can sign up there for updates. My name is Jim. Thanks again for being with me today. God bless you and have a great rest of your week.